to They Behave For Me, a podcast brought to you by me, Adam Boxer. And me, Amy Forrester. We're going to be covering all things education, politics, curriculum, teaching and learning and much more. And we're going to be coming to you every Friday afternoon to take you into the weekend. They Behave For Me is powered by Carousel Learning, an innovative online learning platform that aims to boost your students' memory and help you strategically plan for retrieval practice over time. It does homework, it does classwork, it does detailed analytics and feedback and is guaranteed to reduce your workload. To be like the thousands of teachers already using Carousel and find out more, go to www.carousel-learning.com. That's www.carousel-learning.com. All right then, let's dive straight in. Amy, what has caught your eye this week? So something I spotted over half term, um, I noticed that uh, Michael Wilshaw was back in the papers again um, and he has been saying lots of Michael Wilshaw type of things. What, what do you mean by Michael Wilshaw type of things? Well, the sort of things that he says and then you remind yourself that he is he's no longer um, the, the chief inspector. Um, and sometimes it makes you wonder whether he is fully informed about what's going on in schools at the moment. Uh, that is uh, <laughs> diplomatically <laughs> diplomatically put. Um, should we do a quick bio of Michael Walshaw before we press on? Yes, let's go for it. All right. So um, top of the bio is that Michael Walshaw was the head Mossbourne Academy, which is in London. Um, and he was pretty, I mean, he's pretty, pretty famous for high standards and Mossbourne to yes, this. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and like to this day, Mossbourne's results are really, really amazing in a very, very challenging um, area. Um, he was head of Ofsted. So Her Majesty's Chief Inspector between 2012 and 2016. Um, and he did a lot of stuff um, during that time. So um, one of the big things was that he brought the inspectorate more in-house. So before then, a lot of the inspectors were kind of um, like contracted from outside providers. And that led to like wild, wild, wild inconsistency. The training was all over the place. So he tried to bring all of that in-house, um, tried for, you know, just generally a lot more professionalism. And crucially, um, he's the guy that ditched um, lesson gradings. Now, it does have to be said that he has this, you know, serious history of saying things which are mad controversial and, and pretty out there. Um, and I think if you did a poll of who are the most disliked figures in education, I think, I'm sorry to tell you this, Amy, because I know how much you love him. I think Michael Gove would top the list. Um, how dare you? How dare you? This, this is not me. This is Vox Populi. This is the, the, the people yeah, speaking. I'll take that. I will take that most of the profession dislike him. Yeah, uh, and I know you don't, and we'll probably have to explore that at some point before we get loads of hate mail. Um, <laughs> I think he's, he's pro Wilshaw is probably top, closely followed by Gavin Williamson um, and his yeah. tarantula. Did you know Gavin Williamson had a has a tarantula? No. Why do you know that? Um, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Westminster thing that he had when he was chief whip of the Tory party. He had like this tarantula that he used to stroke menacingly. Of course he did. Like, why wouldn't he have a tarantula that he stroked <laughs> menacingly? Like, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's pretty hardcore. It's like a behavior. Can you imagine? It's a behavior management move. Like you had you 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 know your head of year, and this kid in year ten comes in. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the tarantula, kids. <laughs> no, you just stroke the thing. Um, anyway, so I reckon Gavin Williamson is is in at number two pretty strongly, and I think Michael Walshaw is probably number three. The the yeah. thing is, people who are more recent to profession won't have heard of him, and they'll like the new lady, um, Gillian uh, Gillian Keegan. No, sorry, they won't like the new lady, Gillian Keegan. Um, but but yeah, Michael Walshaw was was pretty 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 disliked. 
Um, anyway, so, um, you know, let, let's just cast our minds back to 2012 to 2016. Um, what were your what were your recollections of that kind of period in terms of inspection? It was a really strange inspection time because we we went from graded lesson observations. I qualified in 2009, trained for like the three years before that. So it, it that was quite a significant change. Um, but in terms of the the way kind of inspections worked, looking back retrospectively now, it, they were full of really strange things um, where you would find schools and teachers having like one-off Ofsted lessons um, and performances. And it felt like, you know, the minute an inspector walked in a room, you were there to perform. Um, and it was a really odd time. At the time, I don't think I realised how odd it was. And it's only now, when things are, in my opinion, much better, um, that I look back and go, that was strange. Yeah, everyone had that like that lesson, right? And they were yeah. like, oh, I'm an Ofsted lesson. I need to do the Ofsted lesson or whatever. Yeah, um, and, it and it had all the, t all the things in it that you needed to do. You had your mini plenaries. You had all these crazy different kinds of learning and you were ready. The minute that door handle dropped down, the whiteboards came out. And was that, was that the rapid and sustained progress era? Was that there? Yeah, and it got to the point where it was like we were, there, there was really a lot of critical thinking going on about what does rapid and sustained mean? Is that three minutes? Is that four minutes? Or is that 10 minutes? And how do you show that rapid progress in three minutes? So I think where I was, that, that became that... That became a oh I think I think I think what it was was because um, they weren't grading the whole lesson anymore so they'd like no. come in for twenty minutes or whatever and you had to show progress in that twenty minutes so you had to do like some kind of mini plenary by the end of that twenty minutes and you had to have lesson objectives on the board the whole time and yes. all sorts of stuff yeah and then every time you was showing progress we had to re-review it against the the learning objective at the start of the lesson it's almost like you needed children to know absolutely nothing the minute the inspector walked in yeah funny that um before we delve too far into this because i think you're going to give me some specific examples soon um what is it what is it that you heard because he was at a select committee um they were talking about inspections and, and stuff that i yeah. don't know that committee is it's um, i don't know politicians doing politician-y type stuff yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of it is. I think it's something to do with accountability. Um, occasionally, if it's happened when I've when I've been free, I've I've tried to watch it. Um, really? On what? Like, what, like BBC Parliament? Some, yeah, sometimes they put it on the news channels. Hmm. So I, don't times, I think maybe I don't when things were more dramatic, um, they did that. Maybe uh, than maybe they are now. Um, but it, it was the highlights that came out of that this time that caught my right. eye. Okay, so what what is it that he said? So he was talking about um, feeling like the inspectorate had gone too far the other way um, and that now the focus isn't enough on the quality of teaching anymore um, and also that we need to go back to being judged on our data more in inspections as we have done previously. And again, there's obviously been quite a big change recently not to hang inspection outcomes fully on data um, and he was saying that those two things uh, he felt were were where we were going wrong all right so should we hit one at a time which one should we do first go for it let's quality of teaching quality of teaching right should we do some some pros and cons then i do love a pro and con yeah go on give me yeah. some pros 
All right, so pros for thinking about how inspection needs to go back to teaching and learning um, and away from curriculum. So I guess I think some of the curriculum stuff, um, I think a lot, of people, a lot of people would argue is, sorry, just, just, to re, just to recap, since the education inspection framework came in in uh, 2019, 2019 yep. something like that um so that was under uh now his majesty's chief inspector amanda spielman is she still in yeah she's no has, has martin is it january that they changed january. over right so she's still in charge and in 2019 the education inspection framework came in and it was all about curriculum so this is the intent the uh, impact and intent implement, implementation implementation and impact yeah um so those three things and it was all about like curriculum 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 um, so, so I guess in favour of thinking that that might not have been the best idea in the world, and we should have spent more time focusing on teaching, 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 rather than curriculum, 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 um, is that the um, there's like quite a bit of workload involved. And a lot of people who have, especially like the little primary schools, like small rural primary schools, they've had to do a lot of work on curriculum. Um, I'm not yet sold that there's been a huge difference in terms of like outcomes and stuff like that um i'm not yet convinced that there's a huge difference in, in like the evidence like is the evidence is the evidence robust enough to support what schools have done in response to Ofsted is is like a key question for me because Ofsted yeah. can sit back and say right well we never we never asked you to make intent statements and we never asked you to make curriculum maps and you know like there's a you know like the pretty oh, road no, not not the tube maps yeah, tube maps. No, I love the tube maps because it's like it's kids who have never been on the tube in their life. <laughs> no, I know. If I showed a kid one of them, they wouldn't have a. They, we don't even have trains, let alone tubes. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it, it's yeah, and it, like even if it weren't like obviously ridiculous, there's no way that this stuff is going to lead to learning. Like the fact that kids know, you know, a kid in year seven who sees a poster that says everything they're going to learn up until year. 11 like what difference does that make at all to their learning like no, no that that, um, that piece of paper is irrelevant yeah so so you know uh, i think those drivers are like are like quite yeah they're, they're not great i think um on the flip side and there is quite a bit of a heavy flip side is that the, there's a reason we stopped looking at teaching and learning which is that it's fiendishly and famously difficult to observe um and uh, yeah like, i don't know this stuff like like the reason we don't grade lessons anymore is because they're not reliable right you'd have yeah. one person go in and say that's a good and another person go in and say that's outstanding another person go in and say that requires improvement or whatever and rob Coe, who's the you know professor working at the uh, durham and works for evidence-based education um he wrote these blogs um back in like 2014 already about why this is a nonsense and yeah. why it's, you might as well just flip a coin um, and i think like at the root of that is that people it's very difficult to spot good teaching and when you a lot of the time you think what you're seeing is good teaching but it's not good teaching and a lot of time you what you think you're seeing you think you're seeing not great teaching and it turns out to actually be okay the the way you think about teaching depends on the class that's in front of you you know um teachers who are teaching like uh, high ability sets were way more likely to get like higher rankings and stuff like that so so it's really it's really kind of difficult and and i i basically i don't know how you'd do it i don't know how you'd build a framework for observing teaching and learning that doesn't it doesn't end up in complete madness which is which is really where we were before yeah and that that was part of the problem with the the previous inspections was that things that were a good idea in principle became tick lists that turned into like borderline insanity sometimes um and you look back at that and you go 
Were we really judging people on whether they had used puppets in their lessons to be creative? <laughs> but they would be judged on their creativity. Uh, their creativity. And that okay. could be a creative way to do it. What, use puppets? Yeah. Did you ever use puppets? Um, yeah, I did actually. No, I, no, honestly, in, in the, in the peak era of this madness, um, I vividly remember making puppets with a year seven class, um, based on some characters that we were learning about in a book. Um, and I, I gave them all little like, um, bits of fabric that were like sewing, they could stick googly eyes on them, they could stick hair on them. And obviously I was using that to test how well they'd understood maybe about three sentences um, in a book. So again, I'm not saying I, I was a brilliant teacher in, in, in those days. But you're outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I ticked a few boxes with that, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so the, the craziest thing I ever did was I did this... Um, I did a lot of zany stuff, a lot of like walking around the room looking for information and stuff like that. That was a big one for me. Oh, um, yeah. But the, the best one I ever did was um, I did um, acids and bases speed dating. So, oh. so everyone had to research. So half the room had to research a an acid. But they were subgroups within it was groups within groups it's amazing right oh. so i split the room into two right and one half was acids and the other half was alkalis and then within the or bases within the uh acid group i split them up into five subgroups and they could each research one acid and then the uh, base or alkali group each researched one alkali um and then they paired off and did speed dating because this is this is really clever because they had to find their salt mate that, oh. by the way, is this, a lot of chemistry teachers chuckling and everyone else being like, I don't understand. So they had to find their salt mate because an acid and an alkaline make a salt. Brilliant. And water, of course. Um, and it was like amazing because absolutely nobody learned anything. Right. They had a, yeah, they had clearly, an amazing yeah. time putting together that, like their pitch and everybody wanted to salt mate with the most popular kid in the class, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it was complete carnage. And, and it was, it was for like an observed lesson. And the guy was like, yeah, that was really great. Can you save the lesson plan on the drive? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can, months, I can share this brilliant practice more <laughs> widely. Yeah, very good. And, and the truth is, yeah. So there, there are people out there who deny that this stuff ever happened to say nobody ever used puppets, blah, blah, blah. But fortunately we do have a pretty good record of this stuff because not just, you know, my own testimony and your testimony, but um, was it, was it, is it, is it Matt Pinkett on Twitter who did this first? I think. Yes, this was, this came up on there, didn't it? And it, it was the good old uh, observation. I think it was called. Observation. <laughs> so, so Matt did a hashtag called Nobservation and everyone pitched in with their craziest observation and feedback story. They did. And I've got a game for you with that in mind. Oh dear. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. So I've been back through an observation. Carnage. Absolute carnage. So I'm going to set you a challenge. So I've right. picked some absolute belters, top-notch <laughs> tweets. Um, and I want you to try and work out where the good practice possibly stemmed from with the observation that eventually happened as a result. Right. What do you mean? As in... So what, when I read you the example, yeah. if I give you an example now, you yeah. might see what I mean. So for example, my favorite observation was a colleague teaching RE, five pillars of, of Islam. The feedback was, could you have differentiated by only giving the lowers the three pillars of Islam? 
I want you to tell me where did that come from? What went wrong for that to be somebody's feedback? <laughs> you can stop laughing. It is funny. It made me howl. It's not just funny. It's so it's so offensive, isn't it? So in so offensive, so derogatory to students who might have been performing at a lower ability. Yeah. I, there's so much wrong with it. I don't even know where to start. What what kind of a of what kind of a profession are we that we produced adult humans that can say something like that? <laughs> Clearly not a very effective one, or a very caring one. Oh my god! Okay, right. So what you're saying, okay, is that the observer saw something, right? There is, okay. Sorry, this idea doesn't come from nowhere, right? There's got to be yeah. some some theory that this teacher that this observer has about teaching. Um, yep. that, me, that led them to make this ridiculous piece of feedback, which presumably in this case is just about chunking. Yeah, So it's about the amount of stuff that you convey to students in any given lesson. Um, now, obviously, where it, where and, and then that's, I guess, mashed up with the fact that what so differentiation, which is adapting your teaching to the students who are in front of you, became something that you had to do almost totemically rather than responsively. So it yes. was like almost something that was just expected as part of your lesson plan that you'd almost have three different lessons running in in tandem. Within one. One. Yeah, you would have a, one lesson for your lower prior ability, you'd have one for your middles and you'd have one for your highs. Yeah. And you'd be you'd be delivering them simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all at the same time. Yeah, mental. Okay, so so I guess the I guess the thing that they're thinking there is is chunking that 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 just you're you're delivering too much information at once. The where they're going wrong is they're saying you need to plan to deliver less information to different students. Yeah, you need um, to teach these kids less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also like th this is a gr this is a great example of why curriculum is important. Yeah, because the curriculum argument is what do students need to know by the end of this course? They need to know the five pillars of Islam, right? That means you can't like lower that. You have to you have to find a way to deliver that. Um, and obviously, if someone was like, I'm struggling to fit all five into one lesson, I'm like, okay, well, just spread it over two lessons. Um, I, I guess that's probably the the sort of <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to find positives here. Um, we are in, in a maelstrom of of teaching and learning feces. <laughs> right, go on, hit me with another. Ready for another one? Yeah, go on. This <laughs> this gorgeous. is just brilliant. Perhaps you should have dressed up as Samuel Peppers. Bring the history alive. Isn't it pronounced Samuel Peeps? Is it? Is that me know. just not pronounced? You know when you've never heard a word said out loud? I'm doing that right now. Yeah, I think it's Samuel Peeps. Peeps. All right, Peeps. we'll go with that. Anyway, I, I've lost track of what the actual feedback was. So the feedback was perhaps you could have dressed up like him and bring the history alive. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would love this. So to, to dress up as him? Yeah, to bring, bring it alive. Like, what did he even look like? I have no idea. Oh my god! Um, I can't even pronounce his name, so why would I know? <laughs> um, <laughs> why would you ever dress up as a historical character to bring it to life? Um, I guess like like hinterlandy type things. It's about. That, I mean, that is a stretch, mate. That's a stretch. Yeah. All right. We're just going to have to pass that one as as complete nonsense. With complete nothing, nonsense. With no redeeming features. Okay. <laughs> let, let's do let's do one more, and then we'll press on with Michael Walshaw. Go for it. So, I was once told that my lesson was great, 
but, quote, you should have stopped the students from working and done some mini plenaries so that the observer could see learning was taking place. Oh, God, that is horrific. That is, oh. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. But that is exactly what I was doing at the same time because oh. that was the feedback that you got at the time. That is it's, what the inspectors wanted. It's so performative, isn't it? Isn't it? And it also, it, it's such a poor proxy for measuring whether learning's actually taken place. I remember, um, I remember back in the day, I read this really great article. I'm pretty sure it was by David Didell about marking, where he said that so much of marking has become about my manager being able to tell whether or not I'm doing a good job. But like fundamentally, that's not my job, right? It's my manager's job to find out if I'm doing a good job rather than yeah. for me to have to do loads of random bad stuff that's going to dominate my weekends in order to prove to him that I'm doing a good job. Yeah, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the show the inspector what the inspector wants to see, regardless of whether that actually measures whether you're doing your job or not. Yeah. And so I guess I guess like some of that hasn't changed so much in terms of the curriculum thing, right? Like so many of these things are for the inspector, right? Like people write a curriculum intent statement and save it in a drive ready for Ofsted if they have a deep dive. People do these curriculum maps and they put them on the wall in case Ofsted come and knocking or whatever. Um, I think I think probably a lot of people don't believe that they actually do make a difference. They just think it's something they have to do. But I guess I, I don't think those things are as quite as harmful as some of these and observation -y type stuff. No, because the, the practice at the time, and this is what really worried me about what Wilshaw said, it was the practice at the time, and you look at those examples, a lot of that for me is actually damaging learning. Like you're going to teach some kids less because you assume they're capable of less. You're going to dress up and make the kids remember the time Sir dressed up rather than learning anything about the historical figure. Like they're all things that, that actively go against teaching kids stuff. Yeah. And the thought of getting back to that just filled me with terror. It's just about keeping them busy, isn't it? There's no, there's no attempt to actually get them thinking. No, or, or learning anything, really. Right, so um, are we giving Michael Walshaw the thumbs up or the thumbs down on this one? Uh, I, th I think I, I'm know, a... I tell you what, bef before you thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm going to present a third option. Go okay? on. Because what I think is that, is that this is a false choice. Um, and I think personally... Um, I read about this a little while ago and we don't have a huge amount of time, but personally, I think Ofsted should just generally be butting out more. So just, I don't, I think they should butt out of teaching and learning and butt out of curriculum as well. So we've essentially got option one, stick with how things are. And I know you love Miss Spielman. She, you're I a big do. Fan, right? I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Um, and so that's, so, so, so there's option one is stick with how things are going. Option two is we'll surefy and, and focus more on teaching. And then option three is just take like a gigantic step back and focus on things that are more easy to accept, uh, to, to, to like gain acceptance across the board. Hmm. I'm torn between one and three. Um, and I think I'm going to be swayed by how much I love and appreciate um, Amanda Spielman for the improvements that she's made. So my, my heart is with number one. My head is with number three. OK, well, I think I, I think it'll be interesting. It's, a lot of it is moot anyway, because as soon as Labour become um, uh, 
you know, as soon as Keir Starmer becomes charge. prime minister in charge, yeah. So they've already said they're going to ditch the gradings, they're going to change everything. So, so I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. If you're listening, Labour, by the way, yeah, you've got my number. Call me. I'm happy yeah, to help. Yeah, we've, we've got it's some good hard. ideas. We'd love you to see. We'd love you to hear them. Exactly. And we've gone 24 minutes and I've not sworn once. And that's deliberate. Yeah, that's because I'm trying to maintain a professional image um, such that, you know, Keir Starmer will, will you know, hook me, call, call me up. Can you send me a WhatsApp, mate? Yeah. <laughs> right. So what was the um, what was the other thing that you said something to do with data? Yeah. So he was saying that schools need to go back to data. So one of the things that's, that's Wait, changed has been the shift. Go back? Sorry, schools well, need to go back. Inspectors need to go back to the data. Ah, okay. And therefore, schools would obviously be looking more at it because that's how it, that's how education works. What Ofsted look at, we look at. Um, and he was saying that we've become we've gone almost like too far the other way. So previously, we'd be very data driven in inspections, um, depending on your outcomes. Um, and he thinks we've gone too far away from that. Do you think pros cons? Um. I think in terms of pros, it seems it seems reasonable. Um, there's part of me that agrees slightly that we have gone a little bit too far. For example, um, you see schools coming out of inspections with goods and their progress eight is minus 0.9. Um, I can't marry that together in my head. I can't see how you can be a good school and... And that be the outcomes for your students. I find that really difficult. And that's a that's a debate I have in my head on this one of have we gone too far the other way? I don't think it should be the case that you have to get a certain P8 to get a certain grade. But I feel like there's, we need to look a little bit more at it, possibly. Yeah, there's that great graph. Um, What's his name? Tom, Tom Martell? Um, yes, I think. I think this is my favourite graph. Yeah, so so obviously on a podcast it's a bit difficult to describe yeah, the graph. We, can, we can't describe our graph, can we? It's a great one. But ba basically, what he does is he shows the how there are schools at different gradings, um, so you know, outstanding, good, requires improvement, and inadequate that have radically different progress eight. So even though there is a correlation, like on average, the outstanding schools have higher progress eight. There are still outstanding schools that have not great progress eight, and there are good schools that have across the range and requires improvement schools. Like let, let, let let's let's start because I think it's, this is very difficult. I find this very hard because let's say you took a you've got a school, um, it's uh, its progress eight is plus point five, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but let's say behaviour isn't great. There's bullying, um, safeguarding problems. Okay, so that's easy, inadequate. Yeah. Yeah. Safeguarding problems, just done. Yeah. End of story. Instant. Yeah. Uh, let's, say you, let's say you let's say you don't have that, but you've still got kids that are sort of generally not particularly happy, or you've got a narrow curriculum, they don't have a lot of choice, or you've got high staff turnover, right? Staff aren't happy, there's high workload. But like fundamentally the kids are coming away with eight GCSEs and each one is half a grade higher than if they'd been at the school down the road. Yeah. So can you call that school a good? This is where it's tricky, isn't it? Because where, where, where's the cutoff? Yeah, my my heart tells me that the cutoff is some of that has to be in how well kids do, and I, I think this is where it gets tricky in education because there isn't a general agreement about the purpose of education within the profession. So for me, I feel it's really important to look at how well kids do and how well they do in their exams, and I think that genuinely changes lives for a lot of children 
And I, that's how I define a good school. But I'm equally aware that there's a lot of people who wouldn't think that at all. And they wouldn't see that as the most important thing in a school. And until we have that common ground, it's really hard to define that. Yeah. I, I mean, th this will be easier once the gradings go, right? Assuming yes. that they do. If they do, um, yeah. But even so, presumably there's going to be some comment about results and stuff like that. And it's just, we just have this long history of incentivizing nonsense in order to get these results. Like all of that stuff to do with the, what was it the European driving oh, the license? Computer driving license. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Well, that, that, that's what it was. It was, it was I, I, I never, I never worked in a school that did it, but. With, no, I was, didn't, but I knew of schools that did. And I, yeah, and it could be done in a day or something. Most schools did it in two days off timetable and it, it made a massive dent on their outcomes. And that's the other thing that we can't get to. Like no, no one needs to leave school with their computer driving license. Like, let's be honest, a GCSE in English, maths and science is far more important than that. Yeah. What were we doing? Where, well, how did we get there? Your kids need tractor driving licenses, don't they? <laughs> Leave my kids alone. Oh, sorry. My, well, my kids all need the, these e-scooters that terrify me. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty terrifying. It's so fast, and I'm walking down the pavement, and I'm like, I could get clattered over here. Yeah, they are. They're genuinely very dangerous, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah. I, I guess it doesn't help that, that our kids put the samurai blades on the wheels, like from oh. uh, like in Gladiator. Wow. Okay. I wonder yeah, they, if they do that on the tractor wheels here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, I was joking. They don't. They okay. Don't. That would be. That would be I, sorry. I genuinely, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that genuinely happened somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So we've got uh, worries about data um, and issues around. I would know that for sure. Yeah, the reliability of Progress Eight, the confidence. Yeah margins for error it's not a perfect system okay so we thumbs up or thumbs down on this one for Wilshaw? um i'm gonna go with a controversial thumbs up oh okay interesting so i'm i'm a tentative thumbs up because i think the extremes i think you can legislate for the extremes and yeah. maybe not for the middle of the bell curve like i don't think like if it like, i don't think a school can be good for example if it's got lower than minus i don't know point four progress eight yeah like that um but the but i don't think you can you can't you definitely can't do the flip side because a school can have really good progress eight and still be slapped down because of safeguarding or whatever yeah um so so i think that's the qualification that i'd make that i think there should be a threshold above above which and you definitely like, like i don't think you can be outstanding unless you're genuinely outstanding like if your if your progress eight doesn't stand out you can't be outstanding. And if you're in the middle yeah. of that bell curve, like between 0.4 and 0.5, which is where there's like, you know, 3000 schools or whatever, then you don't stand out. No, you, you're within the, the a good majority of schools. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so we're sort of agreeing with a little bit, um, but disagreeing with some other stuff. Yes. Brill. Okay. Should we, um, should we do some behavior stuff now? Yeah, let's do I, that. I, I had a question that I wanted to ask you. Um, there's, there's a teacher that I've been working with um recently who i was chatting to who was very upset um because he'd just had to remove 
his he just had to remove a student from his lesson it was the first time he was new to the school um, and in that school there is a like a removal policy so if a kid messes around and messes around and messes around again you just hit the button and someone comes and picks him up and it was the first time he'd had to do this and he was like super upset about it um because he felt like he'd sort of failed that child that he hadn't um i guess done a good enough job to to keep him in the classroom um and yeah so he was really upset about it and and it's like i like i wasn't ready for the conversation at all when he mentioned it to me um so i'm interested to know what you would have said to him that's an interesting point um because i the bit i thought was really interesting was when he said he thought that he had failed that child i would argue it's the exact opposite and that would be my advice because what he's done there is genuinely hold a child to account for their behaviour. He's had high expectations of them and he's not lowered his expectations for that child. And I believe that's one of the greatest ways you, that we can be compassionate with children is not to lower expectations. And so actually he's done a really brave thing, especially as you know, a new entrant to the profession in a new school, it's really easy to take that personally and to think it's a failure. I would flip that on to the other side and say that's actually a strength. It's a strength for you in terms of not lowering your expectations for children. And it's a strength that you have also followed the school policy because that child needs to know the boundaries. He needs to know that they apply in all of his lessons. And as a staff body, we've all got a responsibility to each other to maintain consistency in the classroom. And the minute somebody lowers their standards, it makes it harder for the rest of us. So actually, it's a strength in terms of his contribution to the, the whole school running effectively. Well, he should have called you. <laughs> <laughs> I, told him, I told him, stiff what did up you tell him? Stiff up a lip, pour yourself a drink. You beer eat, son. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, I think I, I, I said, I said really similar to you, to be honest. Um, um, oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, well I th I, I've, I've, I've like been thinking a lot about dignity recently. Um, so, so like one of the scenarios that I'm using a lot in training at the moment is, is in a lesson where a teacher asks a question and a student calls out the answer. Um, and the teacher says, yep, that's right. And then moves on. Um, and I ask, you know, I put this scenario on the board and, and I ask people to like write down what they think is wrong with it. Um, and a lot of people, you know, people often say, you know, similar things that like it's bad, you know, it's bad assessment because you're only getting one student's answer. It's bad for behavior because students are calling out and things like that. Um, you know, there's low expectations, like you said. And, and one of the things that like I have in my head as well is that um, I remember I, I went to a school um, where so, so often a school will ask me to come in and observe lessons and things like that. And they, they're expecting me to give feedback to the teachers and I do that, but I also give feedback to the leaders and it's often a lot yeah. blunter than what yeah. I say to the teachers. And then I remember there was this one senior leader that I was working with who was like, was really struggling to see the problems. She thought that everything was absolutely fine. There were no issues and stuff like that. And I remember I just said to her, do you know, there are lots of children in your school who will go an entire day without their voice being heard by a teacher? So, because kids are calling out answers or teachers are picking yeah. kids exclusively with their hands up, you have kids who they might be paying attention. Yeah. They might be listening, 
Um, they might be working, they might be thinking, but their voice is never heard by a teacher at any point across the course of a day. And I'm like, forget about outcomes, forget about GCSEs, forget about anything like that. It just like besmirches the dignity of the child that yeah. their voice isn't heard by a teacher. Um, and, and yeah, it's possible to go through five years of school, um, never have your voice heard by a teacher and get a string of GCSEs. I just think it's wrong, right? Yeah. I just think. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and like that's a, it's, it's almost like, like in moral language, it's a deontological thing. It's like a thing in and of itself. It doesn't go back to anything else. And, and I think, and, and I try to try to give a similar theme here that like the child has dignity. Every human has dignity. Um, and part of showing and respecting their dignity is, um, respecting their ability to choose as well and yeah. the ability to make bad choices yeah. um, and and to say, you know, I'm giving you an hour now, I'm giving you a detention, I'm removing you from my class and I, you've made your choice and I respect your choice. You've decided that this is what you're going to do. You now have to live with the consequence. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's like inherently respectful. I, I, we have, um, there's like a controversy, you know, in some schools, they, they walk the kids to detention, right? They pick them up and they take them to detention. Like, what do you do? Yeah. If you're standing, you're SOT, you're standing on the gate and a kid is walking out of school and you know, they've got to go to detention. So like you can try and stop them, but like there has to be a limit and you have to, at some point you can shout and scream at them and say, if you go away, then it'll be worse, but I'll call your mum, yada, yada. But like, I think what, 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 what we, you know, ask what we try and do is we try and say, look, you know, it is your decision. Um, yeah. I respect you, you know, this is the gate you walk this way and you go to the bus and you go home and you might be in isolation tomorrow. You go that way and you go and you do your detention and that's the end of the story. Okay. I've given you my opinion. I, I think you should go back and do your detention. I think your life will be better and easier if you do that. But fundamentally it's, it's your choice and, and I respect your choice. Uh, and, I, and I think, I think that's an okay thing to say and think. I think it's a really important life lesson as as students grow up and develop they they need guidance and they need that from compassionate adults and being able to understand as a human being that we make choices about how we behave within the world but that those choices also come with consequences that's a really important life lesson and it's one that very few people are kind of born with the inherent ability to make really good choices all of the time um and and learning that and going through that in a compassionate safe supported environment i think is really important we end on a note of agreement wow fantastic all right well it is getting late so let us wrap that up unless there's anything else you wanted to add to our list no nothing from me Super. In which case, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on um, X, Twitter, Twitter, X, what are we calling it? X, formerly known as, X, formerly known as Twitter, Twitter, just that general hellscape, awful binfire website, social media thing. Um, or you can email Adam at Adam at carousel-learning.com. And if you're not yet a subscriber to Carousel Learning, do consider booking in a demo via the website to see for yourself how it could transform your teaching practice. If you'd like to support the podcast, the very best thing you can do for us is hit subscribe and let your friends know about us. Have a great weekend. Bye.